you have your Bible with you, and I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 4 this morning. Colossians 4, we're going to be continuing our study of Christ above all from the New Testament book of Colossians, which was a letter, as you recall, written by Paul, one of Jesus' twelve chosen apostles, to a group of believers that were newly assembled as a church there in Colossae, in the Lycus Valley in modern-day Turkey. And the issue in the Colossian church back then is, as I was thinking about it this week, the issue in the American church today is the issue of getting distracted. Getting distracted by worldly philosophy, worldly arguments, and worldly approaches. Whether it be through sociology, psychology, politics, or pragmatism, the great danger for us as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, and corporately as a church, is getting distracted from what truly matters most, and that is Christ above all. That is a dreadful state for any believer or for any church to enter into spiritual distraction because it is a state through which we become instantly useless. See, if our lives are to have any eternal worth or impact in this world at all for the glory of God, you and I must exalt Christ above all. Because as we've seen in the book of Colossians, apart from Christ there is no salvation. Apart from Christ there is no redemption. There is no forgiveness of sins. There is no peace with God. There can be no reconciliation between men. There can be no hope of glory, no power or purpose for living. There can be no freedom or fulfillment for the soul apart from Christ alone. All these things are only found through knowing God in Christ Jesus. And the moment our lives become distracted from that preeminent mission of revealing Jesus Christ above all is the very moment our lives pause from having any eternal impact. Because the only way to joy, peace, love, hope, fulfillment, freedom, forgiveness, and the Father is through Jesus Christ alone. There is no other way. No other way. And so as we see our world and our friends and our co-workers, and our neighbors gripped by fear, and by anger, and by malice, and hatred, and sin, and immorality. And as they turn to so many false idols and false hopes to deal with that, do we remember as followers of Christ that there is no other way to the Father and to the eternal blessings of His presence than through Jesus Christ alone. We cannot afford to be spiritually distracted. There is no other way. No other way than Jesus. If this be so then, the issue set before you and I as followers of Christ today and every day is simply this. How do we arrest the world's attention and draw it to Christ? How do we arrest their attention? And Paul has been showing us how to do that in chapters 3 and chapters 4 of Colossians. 
He has showed us that we arrest the world's attention upon Christ first by exalting Christ in what you do. That was from chapter 3, verse 18 on into chapter 4, verse 8, where it talked about how to behave as, as spouses and as parents and as children and as co-workers and as, and as employers and employees. And we're going to see today that we are to arrest the world's attention upon Christ not only by exalting Christ in what you do, but by exalting Christ by what you say. By what you say. This is what God teaches us here in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2-6, through 6, that we arrest the world's attention with Jesus when we exalt Him by what we say. By what we say first, to God about men, that's in verses 2-4, through 4. and second, by what we say to men about God, and that's in verses 5-6. through 6. So this is how we arrest the world's attention of the world upon Jesus Christ, it is by exalting Christ not only by what you do, but by going further and by what you say. First to God about men, and then men about God. So with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Hear the word of God. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the Word of God, who is our hiding place and our shield, and whose Word is our eternal hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have this morning to gather together as your people and hear your Word. Father, I pray that we would listen. I pray even for these next few moments, Father, deliver us from distraction. Help us to realize the great delight of this moment and the great danger if we do not heed Your Word. Father, I pray that Your Spirit would accompany the teaching of of your word today with power. Make this message clear. Make it bold. And make it show us the glory of Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know that old adage, preach the gospel, use words if necessary? That is terribly wrong. The gospel is a message. The gospel is not merely a lifestyle. The good news of Jesus Christ is a body of truth that must be proclaimed if it is to be understood, believed, and embraced by faith unto new life. 
That is why Paul says here at the end of Colossians, in his very last exhortations to the Colossian church, that a life that exalts Jesus Christ above all does so not only with one's actions, but also with one's mouth. And what we're really seeing here in this passage is what Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you have a heart that is filled with the fullness of Jesus Christ, what will your words be filled with? Jesus also. Jesus also. See, the life of Christ is so powerful that it transforms not only your future, it transforms your heart right now. And because Christ transforms your heart, He always transforms your speech. For a Christ that is above all in your heart will be exalted above all in your speech. And so, He must be exalted. He must be. We are to exalt Jesus Christ by what we say. First, by what we say to God about men. Second, by what we say to men about God. And so let's consider how to exalt this morning Christ by what we say to God about men. And that's in verses 2-4. through four. And I want you to notice, even before we start diving into these verses, that when addressing the issue of exalting Jesus Christ above all with our speech, isn't it interesting that Paul begins with prayer and not with proclamation? In other words, we demonstrate our conviction regarding Christ's glory and lordship, not so much when we just share it with others, but when we pray to God in light of it. To put it another way, how do we know when someone truly views Jesus Christ as above all in power, preeminence, and worth? Answer, they pray. They pray. As Colossians 3.17 says, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. A heart that truly views Christ as above all, exalts Christ in their speech, first and foremost, through prayer. Hebrews 4.14 and 16 says, Since we have then a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, or as chapter 7 verse 26 says, who is exalted above the heavens, Jesus Christ the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession in verse 16, let us with confidence draw near then to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Boy, isn't that good? In other words, when you truly believe that that is exactly where Jesus is, above all, that you truly believe that Jesus is not dead, but is alive, and is exalted in the heavens as head over all rule and authority, if you truly believe that He has made a new and living way into the very presence of God on your behalf, and right now He is exalted above all, how will you reflect that in your speech? You will get on your knees, and you will approach the throne of God on the basis of Christ, whoever lives to make intercession for you. You will pray. So if you want to know, how do I exalt Jesus Christ with my mouth? not just with my actions. It starts with prayer. Believe He is above all. And speak to God about men. You will pray. Paul tells us in verse 2 what should be the spirit of your prayers. 
What should be the spirit of your prayers as you seek to exalt Jesus Christ above all? Paul says here that our spirit in prayer ought to be steadfast, sober, and satisfied. So first, he calls us here as followers of Jesus Christ to seek to exalt Him in our prayers. He says, be steadfast in spirit. He says in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. That is to say, we are to be persistent in our prayer lives. We're not to be spasmodic. That word, continue steadfastly, is a combination of two words in the Greek, and it really paints together a picture of someone who leans into and puts their whole weight into pushing something. That's what that word is a picture of. Paul says here, we are to throw our weight into praying. And this type of response makes sense in light of everything we've been learning and especially in light of everything that Jesus is to us as believers. Think about it. If we are truly seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, as Colossians 3, 1-4 says, if we are setting our minds on things above, not on things of this earth, and if Christ truly is our life, if our ambitions, our thoughts, and our affections are supremely wrapped up in Christ alone, then there will be no greater joy in our hearts than to talk to Him, to be with Him in prayer, and to praise Him and seek His purposes before the throne. To put it this way, if Christ has captured our affections, then He will capture our attentions. And we will, just as Paul says here, throw our weight into praying continually and steadfastly. But if we're to be honest, we're not at that point yet, are we? And we won't be till glory. There is still so much about our ambitions, our thoughts, and our affections that have not yet fully bowed the knee to Jesus Christ above all. And sadly, an appeal to affection alone is not going to be enough to cause us as believers to pray the way we ought to. And so Paul appeals to us to pray here not only on the basis of our spiritual affections, but also on the basis of our spiritual endangerment. If a positive motivation doesn't work, he gives a negative one as well. He not only calls us here to be steadfast, but he also calls us here to be sober. Paul writes, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. That word being watchful is gregario in the Greek and it means to stay awake or to stay alert. It was the word that was used of night watchmen back then in that culture who had to stay awake and alert against potential dangers. And so Paul is saying here, if you want to stay alert against spiritual danger, then you've got to keep yourself spiritually watchful in prayer. Now you, might have, you have to ask yourself, what danger do you think Paul is referring to here? And we don't have to guess, because the point of this entire book, and I've repeated it every single week, is Christ above all. The greatest danger of our Christian life is becoming distracted and putting something else as the ultimate authority over our ambitions, thoughts, and affections rather than Christ. We've already seen what those distractions and those dangers might be in chapters 2 and 3, 
Just so you remember, as we are closing out this book, Colossians 2 verse 8 warned of the dangers of worldly philosophy and empty lies. This is the lie that in order to truly please God and know the truth, you need to read this latest psychologist, sociologist, scientist, or philosopher. Because Christ is good, but He is not enough. Colossians 2, 16-17 warned of the dangers of legalism. That was that lie that in order to truly please God and to know the truth, you need to follow all these extra-biblical or ceremonial laws, or you have to observe all these man-made standards and traditions, because Christ is good, but He is not enough. Colossians 2, 18-19 warned of the dangers of mysticism. This is the lie that in order to truly please God and know the truth, you have to have all of these mystical experiences, these spiritual visions, or these private revelations, because Christ and His Word is good, but it is not enough. And Colossians 2, 20-23 warned of the dangers of aestheticism. This is the lie that in order to truly please God and know the truth, you need to deny yourself certain everyday comforts and enjoyments based upon human ideas and teachings because Christ is good, but He is not enough to make you holy in the sight of God. Those are dangers for us today as Christians. It is the lie that there could be found any true freedom or fulfillment outside of Christ. Paul says in Colossians 2.18, don't be taken captive by that. Chapter 3, verses 9-11, through 11, he says, make sure no one else is taken captive by that either. And that's why he comes to the end of this book and he says, be sober, right? Be watchful. Stay vigilant against these endangerments to your spiritual devotion. Keep awake and keep alert. How? In prayer. This is how you stay spiritually awake to your dangers. It is through prayer. If you are not praying, I guarantee you, you are falling to spiritual dangers and succumbing to them. Because the only way to keep alert and keep on uh, keep awake is in prayer. These plausible, demonic deceptions I just listed seek to lull you to sleep spiritually. They seek to subtly gain power and influence over you and to steal away your pure devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ without you ever realizing it. That's the danger. You think in your, you might think in your mind, oh, of course, Christ is all I need, but I need that still small voice if I'm to understand how to navigate today. Right? Well, Christ is enough, yes, of course, but you haven't read this latest sociologist that tells me how to treat other people. Right? And, I mean, yes, Christ is enough, but you also need this. It is subtle, it is demonic, it is deadly. Because freedom and fulfillment is only found Christ alone. They will seek to subtly gain power and influence over you without you ever realizing it or noticing the damage that they're doing to your relationship with Jesus. And so Paul says, wake up. Don't don't be asleep. Don't think that there's no danger for you. Be watchful. How in prayer? Here, Peter is, or here Paul is simply repeating what Jesus said in the garden in Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. See, there is no watching without praying and there is no praying without watching. So you've got to keep yourself spiritually sober and alert. How? By staying in prayer. It is a prayerless church. 
I heard it said from one of my professors once that Satan can do his best work of distraction and disruption in. And in my years of pastorate, I can truly say I'm convinced that you can trace every disruption in a local church back to an absence somewhere with someone regarding prayer. And that's why Peter says in 1 Peter 4.7, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Scripture is clear. The only way that we will stay alert to our own spiritual endangerment is if we stay alert and sober in our prayers. That is why Paul said over in his parallel letter of Ephesians chapter 6, which we read this morning for our Scripture reading, there Paul was talking about the spiritual warfare that we as believers are in and the spiritual endangerment that we face every day from Satan. And he gives all these commands about spiritual armor, but did you notice how he finishes that entire section? It is a section that is often completely overlooked in our study of the passage. He concludes it all in verse 18 by saying, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance. It's exactly like what the hymn writer wrote even though we don't even think about the songs that we sing sometimes where he wrote put on the gospel armor each piece put on by what? Prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Believers, we must exalt Christ in our prayers by being steadfast, by being sober, how many of us have the walls of our souls completely open for invasion because we have no discipline of prayer. We must exalt Christ in our prayers by being steadfast, by being sober, and finally by being satisfied. By being satisfied, Paul says that one of the primary ways we are to be watchful in prayer, I love this, is how? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Here we are reminded Once again, by Paul's writings here in Colossians of how central the spiritual discipline of giving thanks is to the Christian life. I don't think I can state it any stronger than this as I was studying this passage. If you and I are to abide in Christ, then we must abide in thanksgiving. There is no other way. If you are to abide in Christ, then you must abide in thanksgiving. Lest you've forgotten, listen to how Paul summarized the entire Christian life for us back in chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. He says in verse 15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. He says in verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. How? With thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then he says in verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. How? Giving thanks to God the Father through him. And here he returns to that exact same train of thought here in chapter 4, verse 2, where he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. How? With thanksgiving. It's almost like he wants us to pay attention to that or something. One of the greatest spiritual disciplines and defenses we can develop in our Christian lives is the spiritual practice of thankfulness, of satisfaction. This is to be reflected to God in prayer. Satisfaction. 
is to be reflected to God in prayer. In other words, we protect ourselves against spiritual distractions and dangers in our lives preeminently by maintaining a constant flow of thankfulness to God in prayer. If we keep on thanking God for everything that we have in Christ and we are continually reminding ourselves of how we are filled in Him, then we will not listen to Satan's lies that you need something more than Him. We'll be too thankful. We'll be too fulfilled. We'll be too satisfied in Jesus Christ alone to look for fullness or meaning or truth anywhere else. So this is how we exalt Jesus Christ in our prayers. It is to thank God for Christ and for all the blessings you and I have in Him. Be satisfied in your prayers. Isn't that convicting? Because so often... What prompts me to pray is a spirit of dissatisfaction. There's something that I want that I don't have. Or there's something that I have that I don't want. And so I pray. But how many times am I prompted to pray out of simply a spirit of satisfaction? Of saying, you know what, I haven't told God today how thankful I am of Jesus And I'm just so thankful that the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places in Christ. And I just have to bless the Lord. It's not natural for us, is it? That's why I can say it is a spiritual discipline. Spiritual discipline. And it is one of the greatest that you and I must develop in our Christian lives. The discipline of Thanksgiving. See, I'm prepping you for November right now. G.K. Chesterton once wrote, when it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or whether you take things with gratitude. And A.W. Tozer wrote, gratitude is an offering that is precious in the sight of God and it is one that the poorest of us can always make and not be poor but always richer for having made it. Thankfulness, a spirit of thanksgiving. So how do we exalt Christ in what we say and how do we magnify Him as, so, as being above all in our prayers? It is by having a spirit of steadfastness, having a spirit of sobriety, and having a spirit of satisfaction in our prayer lives. To exalt Christ by what we say in prayer, we are to be steadfast, sober, and satisfied. This is to be the spirit of our prayers. Next, as we close, let's consider the substance of your prayers in verses 3-4. through four. In other words, what should we pray for? What should we pray for? Now, obviously, there are many topics that we as Christians can and should pray about. We're learning about them on Wednesday nights as we're going through Paul's prayers in the New Testament. But when we consider our great task as Christians to exalt Jesus Christ above all by our deeds and by our words, then how would that priority be properly reflected in our prayers to God? What should we pray about if we seek to exalt Jesus Christ above all by our speech? And I want you to see that we should pray for two things. First, if we seek to exalt Jesus Christ above all with our speech, then that means the substance of our prayers will start to be focused first for proclamations of Christ. It says in verse 3, at the same time, Pray also for us, 
that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul says here that the Colossians should pray for him as he strove to exalt Jesus Christ above all because that was his great calling. As you recall back in the end of chapter 1, verse 28, his mission was to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ by using all of Scripture to apply all of Christ to all of life. Him we proclaim, he says. That was Paul's calling, just as it is as ours, to declare the mystery of Christ, as Paul writes here. See, we need to remember that though we are called to exalt Jesus Christ above all, we are never alone in that mission. And he reminds them of that. There are others that are striving with us towards that great mission of knowing Christ and making Him known, and they need our prayers for steadfastness. They need our prayers for sobriety. They need our prayers for satisfaction in their spiritual lives that just same the way as we. That's why Paul says at the same time, pray also for us. Don't just pray for yourselves, Colossians. Pray for me. Pray for us. And notice, what should they pray for? Where was Paul when he was writing this letter? Prison. Yet what does he ask them to pray for? Pray that my earthly circumstances would change. You don't see that anywhere here. He doesn't ask them to pray that he would be set free from prison or that his earthly circumstances would change. He doesn't pray for that because their common goal that held them in common between the Colossian believers and Paul, their common mission was to exalt Jesus Christ above all. Therefore, Paul says we should pray for proclamations of Christ. I can't help but feel the conviction in my own life and the life of us as a church as we gather on Wednesday nights to pray Are our prayer requests reflecting that the number one purpose of our lives and as a church is to exalt Jesus Christ above all? Or is it always about earthly circumstances? We can pray for earthly circumstances, but it must be that we are praying to exalt Jesus Christ above all in our earthly circumstances, no matter what they might be. We should pray for proclamations of Christ. That's what you do if you seek to exalt Jesus Christ above all. Paul says, pray that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. In other words, pray. Not that my earthly circumstances would change. Not that prison doors would be opened. But that a rich opportunity would be given to me in my circumstances to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. That's my heart. Jesus is above all. He is the creator, the sustainer, the ruler of all things. And the prisoners in this prison need to hear that. And the prison guards in this prison need to hear that. And so pray that there would be an open door for me to declare the gospel right in the circumstances where I am. I'm sure he wanted those circumstances changed, but he recognized there was a potential wide open door of ministry in that hardship to declare the mystery of Christ. And he didn't want to miss it. How many of us want to be free of trials when those very trials are the door God has swung open for you to declare the good news of Jesus Christ to someone who needs to hear it? So Paul says, pray that we would have a huge opportunity to tell others about him. That the door would be thrust open, not for me, but for the word of Christ to go forth. More and more and more and more and more people. So if you want to exalt Jesus Christ, 
above all in prayer, then pray for greater proclamations of Christ. Second, he says, pray for presentations of clarity. He says in verse 4, pray that when the door is open for those proclamations and the message of Christ to come forth, pray now in advance, he says in verse 4, that I may make it clear. Which is how I ought to speak. See, unlike what the false teachers are telling you, what the world today is telling you, the message of Christianity and the good news of freedom, forgiveness, and fulfillment is not confusing, nor is it complicated. If you want to please God and know the truth, come to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. It's so clear. The message is Christ. Christ, always Christ. Christ above all. The holy and perfect creator of this universe made us in his image. But you and I have sinned. We have rebelled against God, gone our own way, and turned our backs on him. Now God could have simply left us in that miserable state to slide through our lives to an inevitable judgment. But instead he acted in a way to bring freedom, forgiveness, and fulfillment to our lives that were doomed and damned and dead. And what solution did he bring? No one else. No one else but Jesus Christ alone. Fully God and fully man to this earth. Here in our place, Jesus lived the perfect life under the law that we could never live. He died the perfect death beneath God's wrath for my sins, a penalty that I could never pay. And He won the perfect victory over sin and death and hell by raising again the third day for my eternity in a victory that I could never win on my behalf. And now exalted in the heavens, Christ above all calls on all men everywhere to turn from their sins and to trust in Him as their only Lord and Savior. So that just as Christ was treated as I was on that cross, you might be treated as He is for all eternity. The only beloved Son of God. That is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not complicated. It is clear. It is glorious. It is wonderful. It is to be the preeminent focus and adoration of our hearts and our lives and our actions and our words. It's the good news that according to the pages of Scripture alone, sinners like you and I can be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. This message is clear, it is glorious, it is rich and wonderful and life-giving. It is the very power of God unto salvation. And that is why Paul says this, because the message is clear, pray that I keep it clear. Because that's how I ought to speak. You know, pastors are famous for obfuscating the transpicuous and not making clear what is simple. So pray that I might make it clear. Don't pray that I would make the gospel flowery. Don't pray that I would make the gospel palatable. 
Don't pray that I would make the gospel interesting. Paul says, pray that I would make the good news of Jesus Christ clear as I ought to speak. As Paul says over in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 2, pray that by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. My wife can attest, this is the ever-present burden of my heart. I always ask her after every message, was I clear? Did I make the word clear? Because if I cannot declare the word of Christ clearly, it doesn't matter how flowery, palatable, or interesting I am, I don't deserve to be up here. So pray. Pray that I would make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Pray for proclamations of Christ and nothing else. And pray that when those doors are swung open, that message of Christ would be clear, which is how it ought to be given. This is how we exalt Christ by what we say. It begins by talking to God about men. It begins by prayer. And so, let me challenge you with two applications for this coming week. Two activities. There are so many applications I could give from those three verses. But let me give you two that were at least a unique challenge to my heart, and I pray will be to you as well. These are two activities I want to challenge you with to begin and end each day with. Something to begin the day with, something to end the day with, okay? So here we go. First, I'd encourage you to pray for a gospel moment every morning. When you wake up, pray that that day would give you one chance to share the gospel. Paul says in verses 3-4, through Pray that God may open to us a door for the word, and that we may make it clear. And I love how he says that because it's not like, pray while I kick the door open and make it an entrance, right? You know, which I've had some evangelism classes teach you how to do that. Get in an elevator and you ask them, are you going up? Yeah, third floor. No, all the way up. Pray that God may open for us a door for the word. That we might make it clear that I would be able to meet someone right where they are. Not with some set answers or some easy verses that I can throw. Let me give them exactly what they need to hear in that moment. Start each day this week with a prayer that God would give you at least one opportunity to share the truths of the gospel that day and that you would be clear when you share it. And this doesn't have to be complicated, okay? This is what I was thinking this week. Parents, pray that you would have at least one opportunity to share the gospel truths with at least one of your children before they go to bed that night. Start the mission field of exalting Christ at home. Employees and students, Pray that God would give you at least one opportunity to share biblical truth with someone among your co-workers or classmates. Just one opportunity that God would open the door. Begin each day praying for gospel opportunities, gospel moments. Second, end each day by practicing a grateful mindset. Paul taught us to be watchful in our prayers with thanksgiving. So I'd encourage you, you want a practical application every night before you go to bed spend a few moments even if it's just while you brush your teeth or you put on your pajamas every night 
Spend a few moments thanking God for Jesus Christ and what you have received through Him today. Begin each morning praying for a gospel moment and end each evening practicing a grateful mindset. If we can do that this week, God may perhaps build into our lives a practice of exalting Christ by what we say beginning with our own prayer lives. So let's do that as followers of Christ. We'll have to look at the rest of the passage next week. But for now, this is the Word of God from Colossians 4, 2-4, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until Christ returns. Let's pray to that end. Father, we thank You so much for Jesus. We thank You for the good news that we have. We thank You, Father, that by Your grace, by Your Spirit, through the proclamation of some other Christian in our past, You made the Word of Christ clear to us. So, Father, I pray that as we have this good news, help us not to go forth in our own power proclaiming Jesus. Help us to begin our exaltation of Him on our knees in prayer. Father, I pray that You would open doors this week for the people that are here today. Give them opportunities to share gospel truths to those around them that need to hear it. Father, I pray You would also at every evening cause us to spend some moments being watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. We thank You for Jesus. We thank You that we are complete in Him. May we share who He is and what He's done to someone this week for Your honor and for Your glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.